Hey there, just a quick message ahead of this episode to say we hope you like the rebrand, which includes a new website, rawuk.com, that's the URL. On there you can listen to and watch all our previous content. You can get extra content. You can also buy our first ever Raw merchandise and even sign up to become a Raw member, which will keep us going and keep you at the heart of this exciting journey, earning perks in return. We need your support, so please do check us out at rawuk.com and remember to like, comment and subscribe to everything we do on all our channels. And of course, make sure you tell all your pals. But most of all, enjoy this latest episode. Cheers. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Raw with me, Tom Latcham. Now today we're going to start to diversify a little bit our content out of the 90s and we're going to begin with an interview with someone who definitely came out of the 90s but is very much an upfront rave artist and is one of the most highly rated DJs, producers and record label owners in drum and bass. He's a man famed for double dropping and we don't mean necking two pills at once, although frankly who knows, we will endeavour to find out. He's been up. I can see he's shaking his head, by the way, uh, outside the studio. We'll see. We'll come to that. Uh, he's been up. He's been down. And right now, he's up on top again. Uh, always thoughtful, always insightful, always honest. I've got no doubt this is going to be a fantastic interview. Uh, but we will have to ask him now if he's okay with being called a legend. And we'll explain why shortly. He is the one like the Mampy Swift. And his real name is Philip Anim. Hello, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm very well. I'm very well. And it's a pleasure to be here. Oh, mate, it's, it's a pleasure to have you on. I know it's been... You've had, I was just saying it's been a tough year. We, we say that to all of our artists. But actually, you've had a, a, a quite a tumultuous last decade. Really, <laughs> and we're going to come on to that shortly. But um, before we do that, well, I'm just interested to know why you decided to come on Raw. Because I think... it. It, sometimes people just come on because they want to reflect on, you know, like their careers or whatever. But for you, it seems a bit more personal. Yeah. Do you know what? I like people always ask me um, about the ups and downs. You know, they probably they tend to ask more about the downs. And, and I'm very honest. I'm very honest. I can I, I went listen, I went through periods in life where things were tough and you, you, you tend to bottle it all up. You don't talk as a father now with four sons, it's, there's a lot of responsibility to talk out about certain things, good and bad. It doesn't all have to be doom and gloom, but, but letting people know the real journey that you're going to go through in life. Do you know what I mean? It, I think it's really important. I didn't have, um, my dad was a very hardworking man and, and, and grafted, you know, very intelligent and was busy working. So there was just certain areas where, we didn't have that chat. Now there's a father-son chat. My kids are going to be very fortunate because they know what I do. They can, they're going to be able to go online because because they have an interest in it. What their dad does, they can go online and they can they can watch things on me, listen to things like this where I'm talking very openly about trials and tribulations, ups and downs, and everything else, and they can get a real insight and be like, wow, you know, the old man went through that as well. Whether it's now or whether it's, um, you know, a long time away when I'm gone. Do you know what I mean? Like, they will get that form of insight. Well, um, so, I, I, like I say, I think it's, it's important to talk well, about. Well, we're in the British Library, so it's going to be there forever, mate. So, at any point, whatever whatever point your kids... And it might be, actually, because we talked on the phone about how you'd reflected upon your father a lot more after his passing a couple of years ago. Um, and you sort of went back and looked in we all do it don't we we all get old and we all Absolutely. go and go and look into our pasts and into our uh, our family history and all that sort mm -hmm. of thing so it might be that your kids aren't interested in any way because i think they're sort of teenagers <laughs> and below uh, they won't be interested in any way until i mean i don't want to 
be miserable about it but you know until maybe you've shuffled off this mortal yeah, coil and it's yeah. going to be in the british library for them so uh, listen i'm, I'm delighted that i'm delighted if we can uh, we can be a part of that um you've said in the past this is what we hinted that you said in the past you you, you don't like being called a legend because it means <laughs> you're old this is the statement that haunts me now you know <laughs> well, you're not, i mean back. we should say you're not that old how old are you I'm 46. Okay, you're 46. Because, um, by the way, on the internet, it says you're 38. And that means that you were I, playing you know, out of the laser drone yeah. at nine. I'm nine years old. You know how many people message me like on Twitter and they're like, oh, it says that you're bloody 30, blah, blah, blah. You're not 30. And it's like, I know. I know I'm not. I don't know why it says that. I don't know. Somebody needs to show me how to correct it. Because you look fantastic. You must be like, people are like, he's 38. Of course he is. He can be 38. No danger. So... But you don't like being called a legend, or you didn't like being called a legend because that meant old. Have you changed your view on that? <laughs> okay, let me let me, <laughs> let me be a bit clearer on this. Um, I, I I've always felt that there's a there's a certain time that you have in any game before you become this legendary status, and and from what I've noticed, a lot of times legends don't. They're never sort of at the races at the time. They become legends when they're on a downslide, in a way. Um, for me, I was going through a period that was was very tough in um, in life and in music career. And I wasn't very active in terms of my music. So I was getting called a legend around these times. And, and I just didn't think it was deserved. Now, on top of that, I hadn't reached... I hadn't reached where I felt I should have reached in my career. So, so that was, that was, that was, that's probably the main focus, the main reason that I didn't like that term is because it was like, I went through the time, the time I started going through a a downward sort of spiral. It was, it was after a very short time at the top. So I was never, I never fulfilled what I should have fulfilled. So to be called a legend at that point, it just felt, it just felt so wrong. You know, and, and, it and, was do you, like, and do you feel now that you've achieved le- enough to, to sort of see you as legendary status or even just achieved what you wanted to achieve or you still got more to go? I've got so much more to go. Um, I know for a fact I can speak openly and say I haven't achieved what my talents should have, you know, where my talent should have got me to. I haven't mm-hmm. got to, I didn't achieve as well as I should have for for different reasons knowledge you know not and these aren't all reasons that that i'm you know necessarily tough on myself with i I probably used to be but it was like okay you you left school and you left college and within a year you were djing in different countries without any clue about business or anything else you just started djing everywhere all of a sudden you're earning money you i didn't have any knowledge that would prepare me for this game. So, so I, I can cut myself some slack in that sense and say, okay, look, you, you didn't achieve certain things that you probably should have, but at the same time, you didn't know any better and, and you did bloody well. And I'm still doing bloody well for someone who didn't have that knowledge. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So, yeah. so that's, um, that's where this whole legendary thing comes from. Now, the other thing I said is, if you're if you are a legend, you should do things that are legendary, you know. Which means, if you're a legend and you make a track, that 
you know, it should be a legend. It should be something legendary. If you DJ and, you know, it should be something legendary. You, you can't, you can't just be average. That's my, that's how I look at being a legend. You, put, you sort of create a rod for your own back really there, don't you? And uh, so then when you're creating <laughs> a tune or, or you're, or you're DJing a set and you're like, if you vaguely problem. underperform, you, oh. you, 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 you're then self-critical on yourself because you're like, no, I should be better. What a complex Absolutely. state of being. Absolutely. A troubled <laughs> state of mind. <laughs> what a troubled... Now, now, this is the pressure that, uh, that, that I put myself under, and which is why sometimes I have to sort of reflect and say, okay, your half is glass full, mate. It's not half empty. Do you know what I mean? It, it, like, you've done well, you know? But at the same time, I do put myself under probably too much pressure in the studio. The amount of tracks that I... Um, that I go through to get to to get to what comes legendary out, status. Yeah. I, <laughs> what, what well, maybe we, we should just call you Bang Average or something, and then it, <laughs> you know, then yeah. it's a lot easier, really. Yeah, isn't it? Because you're like, drive. <laughs> well, fuck it, I'll knock it out. It's shit, but it doesn't really matter because I'm average anyway. It's slightly above average, so actually, happy day. <laughs> um, that would help. So, Look, we, we, we're going to come on to all of that uh, as we go. And, and and also, we're going to get your take as well on the early days when you first started. But because you do remain at the forefront of drum and bass, let's keep it uh, current early doors. To the outsider, the modern drum and bass scene looks very, very healthy pre-COVID, but also actually even now. I mean, as, as yeah. the events are coming back, there's loads and loads of events. And um, and it looks like the people have survived and, and things are still looking quite healthy. Um, being as you are on the inside, so to speak, is that a fair assessment? I think so. I think I think it's been there's, there's been a split in the sense of some people really suffered during this whole lockdown period and didn't really um, they just didn't have much will to to sort of continue and have the drive to push on and work where there was the others that worked like absolute crazy and continued to you know push themselves and, and be creative. Um, I, I was definitely the former where I just had a lack of drive. I just didn't have any drive to go in the studio. The, the gyms were closed. Football wasn't on. I mean, these are key things. <laughs> you know, forget the music. No gym and no football. That's <laughs> the end of the world. So I think now, as you can see, when we all got that glimmer of hope, I know how I felt. I've been in the studio since. I've I've got more music to complete now than I've had in oh god over 10, 12 years. So and and it was just that you know the the time to reflect over the last year, um, what's important and everything else, and that glimmer of hope that we've all been given. You can see parties popping up here and there and everything else. Um, and a lot of people are sort of getting ready for when it does come back around. So I, I think I think it's it, if it would, do you know what if everything would have come back last year, it would have been too soon. It would have been too soon. I think everybody wanted it to come back in the summer, you know. And I think if it would have come back in the summer, there would have been a very big reluctance from a lot of people whether they wanted to uh, go out raving and be a, be in large groups of people and everything else. Where it's gone on that bit longer. Where people are like, I don't give a shit. I just want to rave now. Do you know what I mean? So, so it's actually it's a blessing in disguise. Also, interesting take on it. I I, I think so. I, I also I think that we had a big, big reset 
the big reset button has been hit. Everything was moving so fast that it was like, let's slow down, man. Like, let's chill for a minute and let's reflect. And and, and I think I think things will be better. I'm hoping, but I do think things will be better in the sense of um, how music is played, how music is made. You know, for instance, I the, the, the live stream I did in, in lockdown was it was one of the best sets I've played in years. You know, it's just one of my top ever sets, in fact. And that was because I had no boundaries. I wasn't worrying about, I wasn't in a, a club that was uh, predominantly a jump-up crowd or a, a crowd that was maybe, uh, you know, had a preference for liquid or, or any, I just played. I just gave the best of me. And I think that a lot of people are going to get back to that, you know, just vibing. Well, I, I, that is a question I ask a lot of my guests is um, I wonder whether there will be, we'll go away from this sort of fractured rave scene where there's lots of different uh, genres and lots of smaller events of the different genres into something where it's a bit more of a of a melting pot. It seems like you think that that might happen. I, I, I It could happen. And that sounds like it won't happen. I, I, I know. <laughs> no, what it is is... <laughs> There's a possibility that it won't. It's the responsibility of of the promoters now. But I think if there's ever a time to do it, it's now. Do you think think the fracturing of the scene has been a bad thing? No, I think it was it was getting so large. It it had to, you know. It was it was such a big scene. I mean, what could you do? How many how many DJs can you have on one lineup? You know, it was very difficult. So there, there are some people that want to hear that all night. Some people want to hear this all night. You know, it was it's very tough. When I when I was raving, we had DJ Loft Ruber, um, who was like hard four to the floor, almost like techno groove rider Randall. You know. Um, Ray Keith, maybe uh, LSD. I mean, LTJ Bookham. You could not go more across the board than that. I know, know I mean? but but they they were the glory days, really, weren't they? Maybe you could say actually now drum and bass has got its glory days again. But for for the early rave scene, they were the glory days, and and it's and, incredible. and and I think a lot of people long to go back to yeah, something I... a little bit like that, where you know it's not all pigeonholed, and you're not going to hear the same thing over and over again throughout the night. Yeah, I, I, like I say. A lot of the big, big promoters, if they genuinely have this passion, then then maybe they'll feel responsible for making those decisions and taking things in that direction. You know, if Do you think you, they if... will? Do they exist? <laughs> I mean, responsible and promoters, like two words that are not that common bedfellows, are they? I mean, you know, yeah. there are... Because it, it's about money, right? It's about creating money. So, therefore, you've got to do they're that business, first. They're business then... people, yeah. Absolutely. And, but you can still be business people and, and do that. Hospital records have done okay, haven't they? You know, and, and they could probably... They could put on pretty much anyone. They could go right across the board with their lineups, and And their brand is so strong, people will come out. Hmm. So... It, like I say, it's whether people feel responsible. I do think from from the, tr- the the from what I've seen coming out of people's mouths over the last few months, I think people are more willing to go in that direction. 
you know. Wow. So this is why I think or I hope more. <laughs> well, look, we, well, I, I hope too because I, I there are certain drum and bass events that just don't do it for me. Not into that sort of music. But if it was part of a wider makeup, then I might be more yeah. inclined to to go yeah. and do that. Um, what what to you have been the key elements? that has led the drum and bass scene to become so successful inside of a wider rave scene? It's, it's really become a, a, an international juggernaut. Um, I think that happened when different types of people came into the game. You know, you, if you look at the, the beginning of the game, where the roots of jungle came from, you know, um, how, how everything evolved. It, it evolved with people from different backgrounds, different colors, different creeds and all the rest of it. And with that came people from different classes also. And, and some people have issue with certain classes coming in and taking and everything else. And we wouldn't be where we are today if those people didn't come in. Yeah, that's, that's, that, that's a fact. Do you know what I mean? It, where certain people came in and what sort of people are you talking about? I think I know. <laughs> I think I know, but um, I'd like but I'd like to hear it from you as you're saying. Oh, okay. Um let's say somebody like Hospital Records, for instance. You know, what they were about. It it wasn't about the sort of the old the old days, you know, bung bung a couple of quid here at the DJs and, and there was no real business structure to anything where Somebody like them came in. Ram Records came in as well. And Ram Records did it from very early. Andy C did it from very early. It's funny because I've spoken to Andy before and I said to him, one of the things that took you to that, to the, you know, Mount Rushmore was the fact that you, you, were, you had a clue on business and marketing and all these other strategies 20 years before anybody else did. So... <laughs> What background does does Andy C come from? He hasn't been on the podcast yet, so I don't know uh, this. I don't. I don't. I say you have to ask Andy C. But, but is he from a sort of a middle class, respectable background? You know, where sort of the idea of being organised and being business led and being think, business focused. I think his old man was in the music business before. I think his old man was in a band, right? A very successful band. So I'm sure he would have given him some knowledge, some key knowledge. And that is a difference, isn't it? Because you know of all the guys that created this scene in the first place it was sort of accidental they came from the streets i mean you look at uh, you know frost g etc etc all of those boys saved by music they came from an area where they've said they've said themselves if they didn't find music they they would have been criminals and so therefore they didn't have that same business mindset i mean they've been hugely successful we shouldn't i'm not under underplaying their success but just as an, exa- as an example of their out- of their outlook, it- it's not traditional business. No, absolutely. And and this is the thing, is there were certain pitfalls that many people had to go through that that because they, they didn't have the knowledge and the, 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 the savviness of business to in order to stay to stay at the top, to stay level. Um, where those guys that you like you say they come in. If you if you've gone to college and studied business for God's sake, you can you can, I'm done. I can't compete with that. You know, I I only learned for me. You know, listen, I came from a good background. Do you know what I mean? I came from a very good background and and grew up in very nice surroundings and everything else. But um, for me to do music 
you're on your own, mate. Because my family weren't interested in me doing music. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You know, me doing music was, uh, was, it was, it, it was slight, I don't know if it was rebelling because I loved it so much, but it, it definitely went against the grain to what my, you know, family, my parents would have wanted. Um, but having, like I say, nowadays you've got people that they, they studied music, for instance, they studied business, they studied marketing. Now these people have all come in to drum and bass and that's what's taken it further. That's what, that's why it is what it is now. Well, so you know what it is now. It's this commercial, large festival juggernaut thing. And you've been in the game since the early 90s, right through to now as a raver first and then as a, as a DJ. You've done it all. Mm-hmm. How does today's scene, with all of what comes with today's scene, and there are, you know, money, <laughs> numbers, uh the, the, the ability to make better tunes because the kit's better, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. How does that all compare to those days when it was developing in terms of its fun and its accessibility and its makeup and all that sort of thing? Um, okay, in terms of music and the creative side of things, for me, you will never touch the early stuff. No matter what, you can, you can have all the best technology in the world. You will never touch what Doc Scott did in the early days. You won't ever touch that for vibe. You know, um, some of the stuff that he had out on reinforced records. Jesus Christ. Um, NHS and, um, you know, a, a, a musical piano track. Then he'd flip it with, with something extremely dark, you know, with the drums. And then Goldie's Terminator, which for me is the number one drum and bass track of all time. Even though it wasn't drum and bass at the time, it wasn't labelled as drum and bass. But that creativity, I haven't heard anything close to that since. And we're talking 1993 uh, that that was made. And so, you know, you can have all this this, this technology, those roots, for me, can never be touched. Um, You can, yeah, the business aspect of it, as, as we were just saying a second ago, that has developed and, you know, and inevitably and obviously that's going to take things forward. But musically for me, it, it, you just can't touch that stuff. That's where it was born. It's like, uh, it's like we all, I, I love Back to the Future, the movie. I love, I love two, but without one, there's no two. <laughs> We really hope you're enjoying yet another one of Raw's in-depth interviews about the rave scene, which we are proud to say are now all curated into the British Library Sound Archive. All of us here at Raw HQ love how much you love what we do, and your generous one-off donations have been a huge help in covering our initial costs. But we're now a team of five, putting in a combined 80 hours a week for no wages, with big plans to expand further, and so our costs are going up. As such, we could really use your help to keep Raw growing and developing, as you've seen us do since our launch in July 2020. First up, go and check out our brand new website. It's rawuk.com, where you can find loads of cool extra content, and you can grab Raw's first ever range of merchandise. That's rawuk.com for our new flashy website. We've also launched a new membership scheme where you can support us financially to create more content on an ongoing basis for less than the price of an oat milk cappuccino. Plus, you get great perks in return. Head to patreon.com forward slash raw UK pods. That's patreon.com forward slash raw UK pods to see exactly what's on offer. 
You can also join our YouTube membership, which is basically the same. Uh, or if you're not asked about a membership, but you'd like to support us with a few quid as a one-off or a repeat donation, then head to our website and click the PayPal link. A reminder of that new website URL yet again, rawuk.com. Big love and respect to you all. Please keep supporting us. Hope you enjoy the rest of the app. August 2021, a new event, Return to Source, celebrating 90s rave, hardcore, jungle, happy hardcore, drum and bass, and techno. Touch us down at Sukit MC in Digbeth, Birmingham. We have Fusion South Coast legend DJ Druid, Quest and Fiber Optics DJ Fallout, the uprising northern legend that is DJ Paulo, and London Town's final trickster playing his first happy hardcore set in over 18 years. <laughs> Tickets are priced at only £14. Just search Facebook and Eventbrite for Return to Source Radio. So, Phil, one of the reasons that you gave me for wanting to come on Raw to tell your story in a long-form interview was because you lost your dad, Victor, uh, in 2018. And and so you were keen to document your life and career so that your children could one day listen to it and and, and learn about their dad. So, you know, to say earlier, we're honoured that you've chosen to do it with us. But how and why do you think that your dad's death had such a profound impact upon you? Um, you know, my, my dad, the sort of person he was, such a strong character it's a very very strong character um and it's funny because because growing up didn't always see eye to eye i didn't i say always <laughs> i didn't understand um his his methods so shall we say um and and how he went about things you know um but he instilled me with certain values. You know, there were certain things on, on, on work ethic and, and, you know, what a man does and everything else that, that always stuck with me. And, um, you know, just, I remember when he passed away, the first, I mean, this is the night, the night, the day that he passed away and I was, I was there, you know, in, in the house. And I never forget just just having the same thing go over and over again, saying, Phil, it's, you know, my dad saying, Phil, this is sad, but you've got your kids, you have to look after, you can't, you can't let this, you know, get you down and everything else. And my dad was never, I, I always felt like I lacked this um, uh, hand on the shoulder and, and this, you know, the conversation and everything else. But I tell you what, there was there was one thing that I remember he said to me. This is, uh, you know, he he was one of those guys that always said <laughs> these one-liners. <laughs> these one-liners you always remember, but but he didn't say them often enough. But you always remember the ones he said. And it and it was when I was really down in a really downward spiral, and I just remember him looking at me and almost he had a lot of pity in his eyes, and he just said. When you go down in life, you have to really fight to get back up. You could never stay down, Phil, you know, right? And that was it. He didn't have any more conversation. I was in a really, really bad place at that point. He didn't say, he didn't have any, it was no half an hour, hour long conversation. It was just that one line. To this day, that one line stays in my head, you know? So he was a very, I don't know, it was a very funny 
funny character in that sense. In the last, I'd always have problems with how I felt he was with me up until I was about, oh, up until I was, let's see, I'll say about 39, 40. And I went to Ghana with him, with my eldest son, and got to spend, it was the first time I spent time with him, probably since I was eight years old. And he took me to where he used to go to school and where he grew up, his dad's house. And, and, and I was like, wow, my dad is a fucking Don. Like, what a G. To come from here and achieve what he's achieved, like, in England. Like, he's an absolute Don. You know, the qualifications, the masters, the, the honours that, that, that he acquired and everything else. I was just like, wow. It also gave me an understanding of him and what he was like and what he was about and why he was about. And I'll never forget him saying, um, he was, I was in the room and he used to, he was talking to someone and he was like, you know, I was bragging to these people saying, I'm really close with my kids. You know, I have a very close relation. I was sitting there like, bruv, <laughs> you're having a laugh. But, but he was. He was, because he didn't know any better. He wasn't close with his dad. Do you know what I mean? So in his eyes, he was extremely close with his children. You know, so after that point, when we got back from Ghana, I made a point of making sure I was there because I could see he was getting older. So I was there, you know, I'd take my kids to him every single week, you know. And um, even, you know, my kids were very young, but he made a very big impact on their lives too. Right. I think so, you I think as a as as a as a father you or or a mother of course uh, you try to take the best bits that your parents did and try to snip off the bad bits if that yeah. makes sense. So my uh my mum uh, came from a, a family that was quite uh, her father was quite violent and so she said at that point when she had children that violence was gone. There is no more violence in the house, and and you and you can then change those things that aren't quite Absolutely. right about that that generation above. Absolutely. So I mean, is that so? Have you taken the fact that I'm sure you've taken your dad's good qualities? I'm interested to know what those are. Those are, but also have you have you taken his qualities that you might have changed in him, as in the closest to your to to, 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 to his children down that yep. generation to your children? When I when I talk to every one of my kids. I pause and shit turned into my old man, you know. Um, when I when when I you know, I, I certain things of um, where I've become a bit more knowledgeable on life and everything else, and I hear my dad speaking all of a sudden. Um, but I try and my dad used to kind of talk down a bit, you know, which made you not want to listen. <laughs> so I. Um, I, I, I'm very careful in how I try and deliver things. Um, my dad, I, I, I never, as a kid, I never heard the words, I love you, son, you know. So, although I, I, I know that he did, you know what I mean? He just wasn't that way inclined. He's old school. They weren't like that, you know. I and mean, I appreciate that now. But, but my kids, for instance, I have that relationship. It's not a thing, you know, they hear it all day, every day. Yeah. That's great. Did you did you ever tell your dad that you loved him, or he tell you that never. he loved you when he wasn't very well? Really? Never, never, never. You know. How do you feel about um, that? Oh, it's it's it. 
now it makes me sad, of course. Do you know what I mean? It makes me very sad. Because um, because what? When, when he's gone, you're, you're there paying respects, saying I love you. Couldn't say it before. Do you know what I mean? Couldn't say it before. But, why, didn't uh, you, why, didn't, why didn't you say that, Phil, before? Didn't feel calm. I didn't feel... It's very weird. I just didn't feel... It's very, very difficult to talk on that level, you know? And where I'd never had that kind of conversation, it, it was it was very funny. But but you know what? You see, how do you think your dad would? How do you think Victor would have reacted if you'd have told him that you loved him? When particularly, you know, when he wasn't very well towards the end, how do you think he would have reacted to that? I, I think he would have. He would have. He would have been happy. He would have. You know, and he probably would have said it back. Not probably. He would have said it back. Right. You know, he would have done. And like um, when I used to go over there. This literally the Christmas before he passed. Even whenever I'd go over there every week, he'd say, "Come here, son. Give me a hug." You know, he was never like that. As he got older, he changed. Do you know what I mean? So I was very fortunate to have to have spent that time with him where he changed. And and you know, he used to tell my kids, "I love you." I used to be like, "What?" <laughs> like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? But but. I kind of understood, I understood in a weird way, but just how he was, I, I, I kind of got it. And that, that equipped me with certain tools to deal with his passing. And the fact that I didn't, I never felt like I had unfinished business. You know, I never felt like there was stuff that needed to be resolved. Everything was passed. Everything had been patched up at that point, you know, and, and it, that was such a blessing to have. Because you'd had an incredibly tumultuous decade, of which we will talk about, uh, started. I, I, as you said, you know, you you left before you achieved, and that was sort of around two thousand. You know, you were getting fed up of the music around sort of the late twenty tens. Sorry, the late two thousands. So towards twenty ten, and then you and then you left the scene. Uh, which again we'll talk about in a bit, but like you, you you left the scene. You went over and made hip, uh, hip hop in America. Fascinating. Came back. Uh, then you were very, very ill uh, due to uh, medical negligence. Again, we'll talk about that shortly. Then your dad died, and it, just like a nightmare year, a decade. But did your dad's death somehow not lift you? That's not the right word, but give you um, a clarity uh, or put what you'd been through in that previous decade into perspective and go, you know what? It's it's okay now. I'm fine. I'm okay. I can move forward and 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 progress. Absolutely, absolutely. I I remember, I remember. I mean, <laughs> the, the the day after he passed. I mean, I, I I remember being in the gym. I went to the gym, and it was funny because the day that my dad passed, just before about an hour before I went over to the house, I remember being in the gym, and um. I was talking to this fella, this um, older guy, we were talking. And funny enough, we got onto the subject of my dad. And uh, he was talking about my dad. I said, oh, yeah, my dad was short, but he was tough as nails, you know. I don't know if it's because he was short, but it made him tougher. You know, we were sort of having a giggle. And literally an hour after that, you know, was, was, was when my brother phoned me and said, you know, dad, he's, he's, he's found my dad. And, um, yeah, I just, I remember, like, 
as I said to you a minute ago, I remember when I got to the house, and I remember literally my dad's body was on the floor, and I, I just remember his voice saying, look, this is very tough, but you have to keep going, you know, you have to keep going. Um, if, if, whenever, whenever I speak to him on the phone, if he hadn't seen me for a couple of weeks, which, which, was, which was rare, we didn't, I, didn't, I made a point, I could see he was getting older, so I always used to make sure I, I went over there every week with the kids. But if he was in Ghana, for instance, he'd, he'd phone me up. We'd always speak on the phone and, and he'd, he'd say, are the kids okay? He'd say, yeah. He'd say, are you working? How's work? That was always his main concern because he knew the tough times that I'd been through. He knew where I'd been before when I was up and he knew how bad it got when I was down. So he was always concerned about me working. How's work? You working? Yes, Dad. It's, it's good. 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 That's important. Then be off the phone. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So, so I always, when he passed, I just, I stayed clear in mind and clean in mind. You know, um, I accelerated my, my healthy living, for instance. You know, I, like I eat completely clean, for instance. And, 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 and it spurred me on to do that even more so. And also let people around me know this is how you should live, you know, and everything else. So, so it, did, it, it did give me a lot of perspective and give me that, you know, that strength. You're obviously a very self-analytical man, uh, someone well attuned to your own mental health. And I, I heard you on the Frost Report uh, for recently um, talking about mental health and that mm-hmm. sort of stuff, which is fantastic to hear people being so open and, and, and candid about it. I think it helps people. But did you have any therapy to help or, or, or was your dad's passing and your no, self-analyzing enough? I think, yeah, it was enough. Which, which was quite—it's uh, quite an amazing achievement, really. Really is where I was, man. It's bad, it's bad, and it was incredibly sad, you know. And um, I remember, I remember Frost asked me a question on there, which was, was I think it was um, when you looked at yourself and you looked. Was, was the toughest gig you've had looking inwards at yourself. And I said, by far, it was the toughest thing. Because I, I remember the day that I, I, sat, I stood there and I just stood in front of a mirror. And I remember just looking into my eyes. What the fuck are you doing, man? What the fuck is going on? Do you know what I mean? You know, excuse my French, but that's an adult podcast. It's fine. <laughs> but that's what I said to myself. Wow, what the fuck is going on? What are you doing? And I, I remember stood there just looking. I'm looking. I'm just looking in my eyes. And all I can see is pain. And I remember stood there. I'm not going to lie. I was there for about half an hour. I was streaming in tears, crying my eyes out, just looking at myself, looking at what a mess I'd become, how, how disturbed I was, you know. I couldn't function. I just, you know, didn't know how to get out of it. Do you know what I mean? I couldn't speak to anyone. Um, it's not like now you can speak openly, you know. In, in, you couldn't speak as openly just even five years ago. You couldn't speak openly about it, let alone 10. It was more than 10 years ago now. So it was um, it was just like just screaming out. And I had to really 
honestly, that's the toughest. That was the toughest battle I've had. So when when I had to, had other health, you know, medical negligence and everything else, I was I was kind of equipped to deal with it, you know, in the sense that well, what you've got yourself out of, you know, where you've dug yourself out of even was such a lowly depth that that to, to now, you know, I, I remember at the time looking at myself and just being like, Jesus Christ, look at your career, man. Like, look at your career. You've absolutely screwed your career up. Um, fast forward, I can look at myself and say, uh, I, don't, I don't blame myself, you know, um, as such. In, how, how, in what way did you think you'd screwed your career up? Because, again, to the outsider, of which most of you know the people that are watching this will do, you are very, very much at the forefront of your career. Like, you know, of yeah. your genre, you are flying high. What, what, what did you think that you'd done? Or what you... Oh, well, I, I had a couple of years where I didn't leave my house. Didn't have any gigs. You know, I was just sat, I was just sat in my house. I was at, I weighed 24 stone. Do you know what I mean? Like, Cry, like I had a high blood, blood, blood pressure. Wow. You know, breathing. <sighs> My heart's jumping about 10 beats. Like a... So, so, so go to, to go back to that. Why, why didn't you have any gigs in the first place? What, what, how did your career come off the rails to the point where you didn't leave your house for two years? Um, that's a very good question. And honestly, I always say to anyone, you have to be so switched on because your career can leap up at a flick of a switch. Which you sort be... of did, which you sort of did, didn't it? Around uh, you know the mid to late ninety sort of six. Seven. Whenever you set up, when you set up charge in ninety seven, yeah, it went 96. boom. Yeah, it, it went it, through it, the roof of your career. So that's how quickly it can go up. So, and I tell you what, it can go down even quicker. <laughs> Honestly. I remember one year, um, I, I, do you know what? I had a lot of people around me that probably weren't the right people. Okay. Shouldn't have had those people around me. And what were, they doing, remember, what were they doing that was uh, poorly influencing you? They didn't, they didn't, these are people that I worked with. They didn't have, they didn't have the same, um, they didn't have any, they didn't care about what I did as much. And, as, and they, they, they had no passion in, and, and, and put no thought and, and care into my career and what I was doing. Um, now, the thing is, it's, it was easy for me for a couple of years. It was very easy to point fingers. And, and, and it, it would be fair, you know, certain agents that I'd had at the time that, that I didn't feel were doing what they should have been doing. But at the isn't, same time, isn't that just basically every agent? I've had several agents and they were all shit. And if they're listening yeah. to this, I hope you're listening to this. You were all shit. You achieved absolutely nothing for me. So uh, isn't that all agents? <laughs> Do you know what? I, One I of them even is. took 20 fucking percent of everything I made on my own. <laughs> I can't believe it. What a mug. <laughs> what a fucking mug. <laughs> Stuff I'd already had before I took it. <laughs> if you're listening, Sam, you're a shit. Oh, was it Sam, yeah? Oh, 
<laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad Sam, your shit, your double yeah. shit. I'm not going to um, name his surname, but he'll know if he's watching. <laughs> <laughs> he probably won't be watching. But anyway, oh, they, they, did not, they did nothing. I mean, agents, yeah, this is the problem, though, isn't it? You come to rely on those agents. You think that they're there battling for you, fighting to get you good quality no, work, they're but they're not. They're not at all. They're not at all. And, and they're very... Basically, the agent is just there to pick up the phone, you know, and back up all the hard work you've been doing. Yeah, that's the way I see it. Um, very few agents will go and fight for you and uh, fight for your cause. But I was already here. So it was a very easy job, you know. So there were certain things I just didn't feel I was getting. So what you do in those situations is is you analyze, you look at it, you speak to the agent, and it's like, right, you're not doing the job, I'm gone. You don't stay there and complain for the next year. Now, this is where you have to look at yourself and say, this is the mistake that I made, for instance, you know, um, and, and it's sort of like, oh, my God, I can't believe how shit this person is and everything else, and, but yet you're still there. So I had to, I mean, look, they are. They they have been shit. Like some of them, you know, some of them have been very poor. But fast forward now, I I can sort of look at myself and say I let people make those mistakes on my behalf, you know. So is that why you weren't getting any gigs because you your agent at that point wasn't particularly good and it wasn't wasn't getting you in the door? I mean, I'm surprised by that because given well, how, what, a, what a name you are, that you your name would just well, carry is, weight. This is the thing. You 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 like to think so, but. But I think that it was a change around that, let's say around 2007, it was a change. And we were going into this digital era, weren't we? You know, that was slowly coming in place. And there was a big change going on in how you did things. And I wasn't, I wasn't on the ball. You know, I wasn't on the ball. So, so if I started slacking, playing the odd bad set here and there, all of a sudden, you know, one step down. You know, there's other guys that are, there are other guys that are on it, and they, they, when you come one step down, they go one step up. And does and does performing at the very top level for you? I'm sure it won't be the same for everybody, but for you, does it require you to be in a good mental place? Yeah, right. absolutely. When I was when I was at my lowest, I remember going out. I had this conversation with the Frost Report with with Doc Scott, and he said exactly the same thing. I remember going out and absolutely hating every bit. I'd have my head down, wouldn't even look at the crowd because one, I hated myself as well. Um, wouldn't look at the crowd and just, I couldn't get, wait to get out of there. Couldn't wait to get off the decks and get out of there. And it's not because I hated, it's not because I hate drum and bass, it's because I was going through so much crap that. I felt like I was um, almost bearing myself to the world. So it was uh, it was very tough to, to sort of be in that situation. So obviously what comes with that is you start to play rubbish. You start to play, you know, your sets become incredibly shit. And listen, even me at 50% is, is better than a lot of what I hear, a lot of DJs. But I'd set myself a high standard that that anything else, it just it just wasn't. It was like okay, he's not on it. He wasn't on it, and and that 
you know, all of a sudden, a month of that, two months of that, three months of that. Before you know it, I remember one year, January to summer, every week, four gigs a week, from from about from about August, there was nothing, wow. not one single booking. Wow. And, did you not ring? That, the, did you not ring the promoters and be like, "Why aren't you booking me anymore?" No, no, I didn't. Um, because at that point, for me, it was a bit of. I started going through other things in life as well, personal life problems, and everything else. So you. You just you're confused. You don't know how to deal with everything, and, and and when one thing goes wrong, you're trying to deal with that, and then the other thing goes wrong. You're trying. Uh, I just wasn't equipped to deal with the stress that comes with the business side of this. Being being freelance as I am, um, and working largely on my own, as as you often mm-hmm. tend to do in your role, um, did you struggle? with not having anyone to just roll ideas off and sort of talk to and have that support. Because I think that that's, it. it, it I worked on my own. I've worked at home for the 10 years. So this lockdown's easy, <laughs> not easy, but you know, I'm used to, I'm used to this thing. But for the first couple of years I lived on my own, I worked at home and I became incredibly depressed because I was trying to move into a new world where I was trying to do move from newspapers into radio. And I had just had no one, no support. Then I have a girlfriend. I didn't have any support to just sort of, roll things off and i became yeah. I, beca- I i didn't realize it at the time but my girl i met my girlfriend around that point and she was like yeah you were you were depressed like it was it was quite obvious well, i think took, it, it still took you on <laughs> well <laughs> I'm brilliant. i mean i'm incredibly good in bed so um i mean it's not true but uh you know we, we'll just we'll just say it um i think she was just desperate um so the uh but i i struggled to not have someone to run things past and be a sort of confidant on things i guess it takes a certain sort of individual to i don't know maybe it's a bit psych- psychopathic really to just be like I don't give a fuck. I'm definitely on the right route ro- ro- here. You, do you know what I mean? <laughs> do you know what? That's that's funny because I made some decisions that I was so sure were were the right decisions, and I just I was in my own world. I'm doing that, like you just said. I don't give a fuck. I'm just going to do that, and it was like it may as well be I don't give a that I'm going to walk off that cliff and I know full well I'm going to land on my feet man I know <laughs> and it was like that so I, I know what you're saying um, with with my music for instance I tend to I, I hope it wouldn't get taken in any form of arrogant sort of way but I know when I've made a good track so when one of my tracks hits I know how it hits because I know how it makes me feel so I've never needed that kind of support. But I think that the support that I, I, I would have welcomed, or maybe I wouldn't have welcomed at the time, but I, let's say the support I needed was someone to confide in in, in, in other areas, you know? And, and I guess you get that. Some people get that from their families, whether it be your parents or a sibling. Um, but I, I'm, unfortunately, I was out there um in this big old world of music business i was out there by myself man do you know what i mean um and i i had no clue whatsoever on how to deal with things you know or uh, you know it's not I, there was people it's not like you, you'd get together the whole you'd have a family get together and everyone, but you're right 
you know, come and tell us all about it. No, they haven't really gave a shit in my family. Do you know what I mean? You know, mm. that's the brutal, honest truth of it. And did and did you receive any support? Uh, you know, because at the end of the day, if you're not working for two years, you're not being booked. Other DJs, other MCs are going to notice this. They're like, I haven't seen Mappy Swift in fucking ages. Where is it? But did anybody reach out to you and be like, you all right, mate? What's going on? Well, what, where are Cameron, you? Cameron from Sigma was one of the only people. And I remember him phoning somebody up and saying to them, look, I'm really worried about Swift, man. Like... Said, I'm really worried about him. He hasn't, you know, he's just, it's just something that doesn't seem right. And he kept saying it. And um, I sort of hid away, you know, because I'll pretend like everything's cool. I'm the man. I'm the man. There's nothing wrong with me. Do you know what I mean? But he was bang on. And it's funny, I, I did an interview with him about a year ago, a year and a half ago. Um, and I said to him, I, I really appreciate you asking how I was because because the, the people that were closest to me didn't give a fuck. Do you know what I mean? They did not give a shit. And, you know, it's, I mean, hence they're not well, around. None of them are around now. Well, would you have expected people who were your peers or your friends to have been more caring at that point? Um, well, you like to think so. I, th I think I'm a... I think I've always been, you know, pretty much the same sort of person, which is a giving person. You know, I've helped a good few people out. Um, so and you don't do it for something back. You do it because they're people that you think are close to you. Yeah. So you'd like to think that in return, people would sort of wonder. I mean, <laughs> I know, I know one st there's one story of someone I know <laughs> and um, I remember him making a joke out of me not having any gigs. And the thing is, I'd overheard it. And I was I was just like, you know, he said it like, oh, we should all go somewhere because <laughs> it's not it's not like it's not like we've got any it's not like we've got any gigs to do at the moment, is it? And and I just I overheard it and I was just like, Wow. What a like, prick. Yeah, man, like, I was just really, I was really hurt by that, mm, do you know what I mean? Because yeah. it was somebody, it was somebody that I'd helped as well, right. who I thought was a mate. So, yeah, you know. Char how um, charming, how very charming. <laughs> yeah. and, and how did you, <clears throat> I, I imagine that wasn't the only instance, uh, you know, you didn't receive help from, from many people. Uh, how did that feel? And, and how, if if at all, did it change your Outlook. Outlook on what exactly? On life, on on your on your okay. job, on your peers, so, on your okay. on the drum and bass community, as we hear so much about. Yeah. So, it, it. I mean, now it all makes sense. You know, at the time it didn't. Now, now it's a thing of okay. It 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 was all part of what's made me stronger and made me realise what I have to do and the importance of what I have to do. And, you know, I've got my, my support unit with my wife, but you know, generally that that's, that's it. It ends there. So you have to make sure you have to be very strong and stand up on your own two feet in a way. And, uh, and, and just be very careful, be very wary of, of the people you keep around you, you know, um, 
I think, like I say, at the time, it's not like I was given a great insight into anything and it gave me, it spurred me on to, you know, to, to, to have some knowledge. I just, I was just like, well, you wanker at the time. Do you know what I mean? And that's, mm. you know, that was that. Does the drummer bass community exist or is that just a thing that people say? There's no community that I'm aware of. There's maybe a few groups, a few little pockets of people that get on and hang out and some of them, you know, get drunk and do drugs together and all the rest of it, do you know what I mean? And then you've got the other ones over there. <laughs> you know, that, that's... Um, do you think that the, that's... The community's gone since Music House went. That's what I'm saying. Oh, really? Yeah, back in the day when you had Music House running, that was definitely the community because we were all there all week long. You knew you'd, you'd see all the DJs there. You know, for some, you are some people that are artists in the game now. For them, going down to Music House was a special, special time. Because mm -hmm. you're gonna, we're gonna see Groove Rider in there. You can see Frost, Ronnie Size, Andy C, Ed Rush. You know all the guys. Optical. You know, uh, Bad Company. You're going to see, and it's not just Jungle at the time. You, you have Shaka, big reggae artist in there. Like it was, um, but for for us, I think that that was that was a that was the hub, should we say? And since that, it, obviously that that kind of changed again when the digital era came in, and things became more soulless. And that's is that that's, is that a big loss? Yeah, we, it, it, it's it's the, the 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 heart and a lot of the soul has gone, you know. So it is a lot. It's definitely a loss, you know. Yeah, some people will tell look some people's business since that, that era have gone through the roof. So maybe they would have different views and say, well, I don't know what you're talking about, mate. Well, I'm, I'm all right, you know. But it's it's not in that sense. It's just, it's, it's just, it's a sad thing because it, it was a nice community to have. It's about a pressure. It's about a roar. What was the spark that led to you to leave the scene in around about 2010? I mean, you'd had two years of not doing gigs and being incredibly low, there and you decided you, to, you decided to go to America. What was the spark? What happened? It was it was escapism, <laughs> right? <laughs> it was escapism. I could leave all my problems in England and, and be around, hanging out in Los Angeles, you know, hanging out with with, with cool people and. And I love, I don't just love drum and bass. I love music first and foremost, obviously. Um, and at that point, I started becoming very, very creative. Um, I buried myself so, so deeply in the studio and was just, just, you know, the amount of work I was, the amount of work I was doing at that time in the studio was just insane. It's being so creative, making loads of hip hop. It was great. I, I made some incredible music that I never, never, ever thought that I'd be able to make. The problem is with that is my best music comes from me being in a certain place. You know, you were saying about when when you work alone, you're isolated, and imagine making music is like it's like torture. It would be torture for some people. Yeah, imagine a four-bar loop repeating itself uh, for three hours. You, you'd actually send some people crazy. 
So I think so, I think they use that as a torture they, technique. They do, the, don't yeah. they? <laughs> they do. They do. <laughs> so not so not your they, music though. Not your music. <laughs> listen, there's, there's some music that is torture. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> but but I was just I was becoming more and more creative, burying myself deeper and deeper and deeper. And my God, I I, I went I went crazy. I went crazy. I went too deep. Way too deep, you know. Um, just, just lost. I, I, I made, I made one track actually, and this track was about. I, I, I say I made a track. I tried to make a track, and it was about, it was about nine minutes long. Um, it didn't come out in the end, and I had like this three-minute intro of, 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 of this orchestral choirs and, and drums and horns and everything else epic then it dropped into this super dark tear out and then after a couple of minutes it went into this like more musical kind of track and then it changed again into like a steppy track then it had this incredibly epic breakdown and i wasn't equipped like I never studied music at school, so I, so I was just putting down what I was feeling. And I tell you what, trying to make that track and complete it, it 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 put me on the brink of absolute madness. Like it sent me fucking potty. <laughs> like honestly, it really did. It really did. It was just I was trying to make a track that you would have. You'd probably have fifty people involved in. Like you'd have an orchestra, you'd have you'd have the choir doing the choir stuff. I'm playing all these chords, you know, these big choir chords. Then you'd have you'd if you were in um, an orchestra, you'd have your horn section. So then I'm I'm doing the horn section, and then I'm doing all the sims. Like it, it's too much for my brain, you know. It was just too much for my brain, and um, I was at that period. It was just it was a bit much, and. What happened is I, I, I was working with a couple of singers and it, we got very close. We got very close to being where I wanted to be. My dream was to always to work with Dr. Dre. Oh, I'm a massive Dr. Dre fan. Um, so, you know, we were in there with, um, you know, Geffen Records. I was, I was, I was taking a lot, of inter, um, a lot of demos down to Interscope Records. So, so the foot was in the door, so to speak. And um, in one very awkward exchange, it just all went south. And uh, I, I, know, I know I like to be open and frank, but this one, I think, maybe I'll tell you off camera. Because <laughs> it, 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 it just went south very quickly. And it gave me an insight as well into how tough the business is on the, at that level. That's a different level altogether of ruthlessness. And um, again, as I've said before, I was never equipped for the music business. I was equipped for music because I've got, I think, I think I've got a natural talent for music, but I wasn't equipped for the business side of it. And going to LA, Jesus Christ, man, like, that's a different level altogether.
You know, so, but, although yeah. although it will have raised your technical abilities for then when you come back, you're at another level in terms of your your production on drum and bass, which would have been um, would have been you know hugely useful, of course. But and you were you were playing the odd gig though, um, but you were preparing to quit forever, um, and then. You played your last gig, and then thankfully for all of us, there was an intervention. And for those who don't know this story, maybe you could tell us. Yeah, so <laughs> I played. I, I remember it in extreme detail. I'd, I'd like I'd like to be vague about it, but no, I'm not. I, I, I played at the um, Egg Club in King's Cross, and I played my set. I remember playing on CDJs, and I was quite new to using the CDJs, so obviously come out of the vinyl era. And man, what a shit set I just played. Honestly, you wouldn't have thought that this was the same dude, like that that that, that, that used to do all these double drops. <laughs> like it was, it was, it was just terrible. It was so poor. So I'm playing, and I'm just like looking at the looking at the clock, like this is going to be over. I'm not doing this again. I'm not doing this again. That's it. That's it. I know for a fact that is it. Um. Played the set, painfully played the set, and and then I left. I was walking out, and this guy has come up to me. His name was Charlie. He's come up to me and he said, "He said, Mampy, mate, where where have you been? Like, you have been in my life since I was a kid. Like, I followed you everywhere since I was a kid." And he said, and "All of a sudden, I haven't seen you anywhere." It's like, mate. It's like, it kills me. Like, where have you been? And and I'm, I've got my head down and he's talking into my ear. What he doesn't know is, like, what he's saying to me is killing me. It's killing me. I'm, 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 I'm literally on the verge of, of breaking out into tears. Like, he has no idea. And, and, <laughs> and I, I, everything he's saying, I'm sort of like, I'm trying my best to, to block out what he's saying. I don't, I don't want to get any more hurt. I'm trying to, I'm trying to block it out. I'm going, I'm going. This is the last ever gig. I don't need to hear this. And I remember coming out of that gig. Um, well, actually, what he said is, he said, mate, you've, you've been in my life since I was a kid. Just please, like, don't disappear again. And I remember getting in the car and just, whoa, man, just like, what, the, what is going on? Do you know what I mean? This was in 2011. And that so, was the only gig I had, 27th of December. And you've never found Charlie ever never. since. Charlie, never. if you're listening to this, get in touch. Absolutely. <laughs> Hello at rawuk.com. Give us a shout and we'll 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 hook you up. He's yeah. it, it, you're the reason why he's back. I, um, made, I made a tune. I made a tune called Here's Charlie. It never came out, but it will come out actually soon. how much his comments resonated with me. And Never forget that. And so in terms of your comeback, that obviously spurred you um, to to come back to release new music. You were better equipped for making new music because you'd been spending all your time <laughs> yeah. over the there. I, it, was it... Did, did it... Did Charlie's intervention make you go, you know what? Not only am I going to come back, I'm going to fucking smash this. And I'll tell you, there's a story, right? So uh, I went to see, I've read Stuart Lee's autobiography, comedian, and uh, he quit. He, he was, uh, I'm fed up of stand up, and he quit. 
And he went to see Ricky Gervais as a stand-up when he was quite early doors and he, he wasn't very good as a stand-up, Ricky Gervais. <laughs> and basically, he went to see a stand-up. Ricky Gervais said on stage that his hero was Stuart Lee, right? And so Stuart Lee's watching this. And Stuart Lee's like, I had a hero called Ted Chipperfield who was never very famous but was always fantastic. And I always used to cite him as my inspiration. And then he just thought, I don't want to be Ricky Gervais's Ted fucking Chipperfield. I'm going to come back and I'm going to smash it. And I'm going to yeah. show Ricky Gervais. And I'm going to show everyone else that That's I'm incredible. so skilled that I'm going to get to the top of comedy again. And so he started again and he went bam to the top of comedy. Wow. And I just love that drive. It's That's the most, incredible. how good must you be okay. or, or, or adept yeah. as a performer or, or secure in your knowledge that you're an amazing performer that you're like, I'm going to come back. And not only am I yeah. going to come back, I'm going to absolutely smash it. And uh, so the legendary thing. That's the legendary thing right there. You, you, that, 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 if I recited what you just said, that would be the best way to explain what I meant by that comment. You know, exactly what you said. I don't want to be that guy. Do you know what I mean? Let me, let me do something legendary. You know, let me do something legendary. Well, having, um, come back, Stuart Lee came back and he was, he was quite angry for a while, uh, that, I think that he felt that he should be doing a bit better or whatever. I mean, in terms of his abilities, he's right at the top, but he felt like I think he should he should be doing better. But I've seen him more recently and he's older and mm. I th- and he's going deaf actually. And 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 he wasn't very pleasant to watch a, a few years ago. And then he was angry and he used to be really? mean to the crowd. And I'm like, I don't want to fucking pay my money for you to be mean to me. But anyway, he's much more sedate and cool now, <laughs> and it's an age thing. And I think he feels much more comfortable in his own skin. It's like, you know what? I have achieved a lot and I'm happy with what I've achieved. And that's cool. And I still make good money and I still have a nice life. Is there the similarities with you there too? Massively. Massively. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful to hear. That's an incredible story. And, and the similarities there, the artistic problems right there. You know, um, I, feel, I feel that I've got to a point where I know I'm a good DJ. I don't need anyone to tell me. I know I'm a good DJ, so let me just, in my head, I just have to do what I do with effort, make sure I do it well, and I'll be good. Same same thing goes in the studio. If I if I make good music, I, like I said to you, I tend to feel it. I know if I've made a good track. So, I mean, after that year, that was in 2011. Excuse me, in 2012... I made my comeback track called Gangster, and um, with Gangster, it was. I actually made. Well, I didn't make it. I, I actually made Gangster in 2010, and I just remember. I remember playing the track out at a rave, and I thought, "Oh, that sounds alright, actually." Um, hmm. Yeah, maybe there's something there. Made that around the same time as I made Here's Charlie. I gave it to to Bailey, DJ Bailey, at the time he was on One Extra. And he played it on One Extra. And literally, that that evening, my the comments went mad on Twitter. People were messaging me left, right. I, said, I hadn't had people message me for a track for years. It was, it was like the beginning again. Like, oh, <laughs> you know, honestly, I was just overwhelmed. And that that track was, I mean, literally. Every single drum and bass DJ that I can think of, from Hazard to Netsky, like so, like everybody, literally, and everyone in between played that track. And 
it was it was a bit like okay yeah you can kind of do this you can you you've, you've got all the tools to do it and did knowing how much you were loved by all those people also help your mental health yes it was it was very nice now a big thing for me since going through everything i've been through is to make sure that that aspect of things doesn't rule me so i don't right. i don't want to be ruled by emotions you know um so, so for instance if things are good cool and if things are bad cool mm. you know i don't want to let myself get ruled by those emotions again you know because I obviously what it did to me, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of safeguarded myself, you know, I had to, you know, because the, the first time around, I, all of a sudden, imagine from college, like, you know, 10 years later, I'm, I'm bloody flying all over the world. You know, I've got my dream car, you know, and, and how did I get here kind of thing, <laughs> you know? So when it was started going down, the shock, of it was just like, oh my God, what, you know, what do you do kind of thing? And, you know, you know that Mary Poppins film when they're, they're floating in the air and they're all laughing and then yeah, they keep laughing, they stay up and then all of a sudden <laughs> she's like, oh, I'm going home now. And then everybody starts to come down because they're on a downer. It, it was, it was one of those downers. So I always said to myself, I won't let myself be ruled by that emotion anymore. And, 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 is that something you've you've kept up? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I, 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 like I say, when it's good, it's nice. It's nice, yeah. When people are commenting on on nice things, you on on your set, it's wonderful. It's lovely. Come on, right? Who would not like that? Do you know what I mean? It's, but I know, I know, I do know when I've done something that's good. Do you know what I mean? So, it's you know, I can. Well, a lot of that will come from social media, and 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 you've you that was the digital age that you were talking about that came back in. How, how did you navigate the introduction of social media? Because it's, it's it can be brutal, man. I wasn't equipped. I was not equipped for social media. I wasn't ready for it. I I imagine it. I've been out of the game for a number of years, in a way. Uh, and then came back, and then you, there's, there's Twitter and Facebook, and and I was just, I wasn't, <laughs> I was the wrong person to be on it. You know, social media isn't for everyone. If you're if you're not, you haven't got the right mind. I mean, you, you look at some of the posts on Facebook that people put up, um, <laughs> where they've got <laughs> their arguments between the, I don't know, a, a boyfriend and a girlfriend, like where. You, you, you bastard! You did this and you did that! And it's like... People are mad on social media. Yeah, like it's like, you, you're yeah. not, you're, you should not be on social media. Um, yeah. I, had, I had a few of those moments, man. Like, I'm not, I'll be honest with you. The first couple of years, I was chatting some crazy shit on social media. Like, like now, I, I try and forget it because <laughs> it's, that, it's that cringe, you know? But I was so, in such an emotional state of mind. Like, well, of course you'd ask that. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, I was, I was critical of how things were in the drum and bass scene. It's only because I didn't understand what was going on. Do you know what I mean? Because I'd been out of it. Mm. And, 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 and maybe a bit, 
a bit personal. So, oh, I'm trying to think. I said some real cringy things, man. I, 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 I said we something all did. Bad. We all have, mate. It's yeah. not, you're not you're not alone. Yeah, that's good to know. Well, I look I, back I, at some I, of the things that I used to write on the internet, and I think, oh man, that's but that was. Really, I said I said something really about horrible someone. and mean as well. You know, you're like, what really are you doing? Mean. Yeah. yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I'm not, and it's like okay, I'm not like that. So now I'm very, uh, I'm you know, I'm 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 adjusted and equipped to deal with it now, you know. And do you still uh, get? It, do you ever get any abuse now? Or, and if so, what? How, no, do, you, how do you deal I mean, with that? Do you know what? Honestly, compared to what some people get, I've been really lucky. Touch wood. Why do you Tomorrow, think that is then? I have no idea. Um, I mean, maybe my my fan base is is here mm. and not here, which mm. is mm. which helps. You know, like the people that are interested in me are genuinely interested yeah, in yeah. me. And they like you, you. you. Yeah, exactly. I think you always have that that one dickhead that just just goes on every post and just wants to troll. Ah, you're rubbish. Yeah, oh, you're. I'm sure there's one of them everywhere. Um, I've had. I'll tell you what I do. I had on my Instagram actually recently. There's some 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 bird pops up and she says things that are just really, you know, they don't make sense, but. If I was reading somebody else's post, it would make out like, like, like you, you, you're a woman beater or something. Like, so honestly, I'm just like, wow. What? So that's that's the worst I, I've had. Do you know what I mean? Where where she was like, oh, yeah, you know what? Some men are like they'll beat women, and, and it has nothing to do with what I posted. But I, I don't know. If she, so how did like, you deal? How do you deal with any negativity like that? I, I've learned to ignore it rather than turn around and, and yeah, message see. and say, you prick. <laughs> it's the best. So I work in PR and it's the best possible advice I can give to a lot of people is like, look, it's not easy. And I don't always follow it myself, to be fair, you know, because it, it isn't easy to ignore someone when they are a telling lies and b being horrible and or, or just getting, you know, they, they get things wrong. Like We get it with raw and I have to really stop myself from going, you know, people, People question what we're doing, and you're like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" For, like people w w question the the, the the GoFundMe. They're like, "What? You we paid for it?" You're like, "Well, I just want to cut my cost for starters." But you're like, "What? You think this all comes for free? Like you think it's mad?" And you, and you, and you want to go back and go, "Are you fucking mad?" Like, of course yeah. it's not. You got you know, but you you can't you because these are your customers and they're your critical. You put yourself out there in the public, and you've got to be uh, yeah. except for being critical. I mean, I've had times in the past when I was at Talk Sport. I spent I had. One period, I had three days being trolled by Wolves fans. People calling me a nonce, calling me a this, that. Like, three days. It really wow. affected my mental health for wow. three days. And, you know, I, I, I blocked about 300 people. That was what that did many you people. Do? What did you do wrong? Well, you know, uh, when you're on talk <laughs> sport, you're, you're, you're putting your opinions out there on football and that's what you do and 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 it's part of you know generating an, a, a, a sort of image of yourself and also sort of generating discussion and whatever it's stuff about Bournemouth that was linked to Wolves it wasn't even particularly critical about Wolves but they've got yeah. a really hectic fan base and they basically just this mad pylon for three days and it was <laughs> and then they continued someone wow. to follow me I changed my name on the Twitter and they continued to they, they'd find me and they'd flag it up they'd go look here he is he's changed his name and you're like Jesus no again Christ. honestly it was like it was so horrible. How sick. 
I don't, I don't miss that. I don't miss that 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 thing in uh, that I had in, in talk sport because it was it's hard. But the best thing is to try to avoid it. But you know, when someone's calling you a nonce or a cunt, it's hard to yeah, turn that other cheek. So, but yeah. anyway, um, in terms of the uh, social media, uh, it's an inescapable part of society um, and part of being arguably a successful music artist for yeah. you has social media been a positive or a negative for drum and bass and for music uh in general oh listen we can we can it's definitely a positive it's definitely a positive because the world is smaller now mm. you know you know I, I i have people in uh, you can have people in new zealand and australia that can keep tabs on what you're doing it wasn't like that before if they got ever lucky to get a tape pack or a cd pack then, then somebody would have travelled and handed it, you know, it, it's all long. But now everything is there at our fingertips. There, there, are, there, are, come on, there are massive pros to that, you know, absolutely. Um, we know the negative aspects. We're talking about them now, you know, just a minute ago. So, but I think generally it's, it's, it's helped. Um, there are some, some aspects where... Unfortunately, it's taken some of the soul out of things. Uh, it, there's nothing we can do about it, though. There's nothing we can do about it. It's kind of inevitable, really. Um, listen, on Saturdays, we all used to go to the record shops, you know, and pile in the record shops and buy our records. Like, that's gone. Now you're online seeing what's what's hot. And so the, there's an element of the, the soul. The heart and soul has gone out of it because of the social media. What can you do, though? Yeah, well, that's true. I, I was actually thinking. So this is mad, right? I don't know if you're into all this shit, but I'm sort of like not. I, I blockchain stuff. I, I don't really know about it, but it, but I find it mad that now actually, and I wonder whether this is the future, right? You know, you can like go. You you can have your own virtual reality shop, and you can like go in the shop, and you can actually pick up the records and play. It, it it's insane, and I wonder whether. We're moving to this area now where it's all going to be blockchain. I know back in the day, people were going, what's the internet? That will never catch on. It's the same sort of thing, right? Yeah. And, it, and I do wonder whether there's going to be a virtual yeah. reality world where you can, all right, record shops, you're not going to buy. The vinyl industry is, 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 on, is on a small comeback, but I don't think it's ever going to be enough to have record shops. But you might have stuff online where it's free to have these things and you can like go into record shops, talk to people in the record shops, all this stuff. That How world, bad would that be? It will come. I mean, you've seen the film Ready Player One, right? No. No? Okay. So, <laughs> I said, I mean to say no. Like, like I've never, not say, I'm not, I'm not I've saying never, it like that. I've never even heard of it, mate. Okay, <laughs> go on. Well, well that's, that's that virtual world. You put your goggles on and you can become a different avatar and all the rest of it. And I went down to the Saatchi Gallery and, and they had this virtual reality thing. And it was absolutely mind-blowing and after doing it for about an hour you come out of it and the world outside is so dull <laughs> so the minute that they this this is i mean god knows what the creators of this technology have they obviously they're years and years ahead of us when that technology comes out i think a lot of people are going to be addicted to it I think it's inevitable where we're going with that stuff. It will it will be that that virtual sort of world stuff. It's a different level. It is crazy, you know. You, we I was I was in there with the goggles on and I'm touching things. 
Like I'm touching things and the things are moving. Like I can't explain it. It's insane. So, you know, it wouldn't surprise me. If that wouldn't be surprised. wouldn't be a surprise. Maybe, we, maybe we can find that 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 community again. Your name's not Dan. You're not coming. In. And in terms of, uh, I know that you were. You also got ill from from meg, meg, medical negligence. Sorry, in around about 2017, which sounded pretty terrifying. You were it was a, a, a dirty needle that ended yeah. up. You might have lost a, a limb or potentially even yeah, even scary. have died. Must have been I- incredibly scary for you. Did that change you? I mean, is that what spurred your health kick? Yes. No, it, it was. It that really made me say, right, you know. It's funny because I'd already started being quite. I'd already started being healthy. I was already. I already started juicing and did making smoothies before that. I didn't quite get them right. I was still adding fruit, but now I'm strict veg. But <laughs> I remember pulling up into the. Um, I was already starting to feel good. I was already very, very um, self-conscious and self-aware. Obviously, I'd been through enough. At that point, by 2017, I'd been through enough in life to know I can't go down again. I have to change my life. So I was already very um, appreciative of life and very switched on, you know. So I remember being in there. In, I, I, I took a selfie, funny enough, just before I had this. I was just having a routine MRI scan on a, on a football injury just to make sure it was all right. Doctor actually said to me, you probably don't need it. Oh. <laughs> but you know, maybe we should just send you in just to check to make sure it's all right. So, so I went and had this, and this is what this absolute prick, Dr. Garrett, wanker, actually, I have to say that he's an absolute dickhead. That's what he said to me. He said, I've I've done I've done thousands of these since 1985, and I've never had one go wrong. <laughs> this, Sorry. This, this, these were his exact words to me. I wonder if he still says that. I wonder oh, if he still says that. I mean, I he, he really shouldn't. Do you know what the killer is? <laughs> he he dug, did the did the procedure. I put the needle in, blah blah blah. Did the MRI scan, and then I was waiting in the uh, waiting area, and he comes through with a couple of other doctors, and he's like, "Look, look at the muscle on his legs. I I managed to get through them, right." The next day, I'm looking at the form, and it says, "Right, by the evening, you'll be fine. You you won't have any pain." Blah blah blah. By the evening, I can't walk. So I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? Um, by the morning, I'm in excruciating pain. So I call into the hospital and I say to them, look, I was in for an MRI yesterday. I had this injection and I can't actually walk. And they said, no, you shouldn't. You should be fine. There shouldn't be any problems. I said, well, <laughs> I can't walk. So I said, I'd like to speak to the doctor that did the procedure. He came on the phone. And he said, um, no, he said, it's not, it's not an infection. It's far too soon for it to be an infection. So another day passes by and I am suffering even more. So the next day I, I go to walk up the stairs and I literally collapse. I'm literally, I'm crying. And the pain is so severe. It's in my groin as well. It's right in my groin. I, the pain is so severe. I go into I, I go into my doctor's, actually. No, I call an ambulance first, sorry. The ambulance takes me into hospital. They give me some oral morph, um, this liquid morphine crap, put me in a room, 
and left me there. And he says, uh, yeah, it's too, it, it can't be an infection. It's too soon. So, so we'll monitor it. Sends me home. The next day, I, ca I can't walk at all. I completely collapsed. I, I get into my doctor's and my doctor says to me, um, as soon as I walk in, he says, Jesus, no, I can see there's something wrong with you. I can see it in your skin because by now I've got a full-on infection. So he's, he's saying, no, 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 there's definitely something wrong with you. He says, I think, I think you've got sepsis. So I'm, I'm, I'm like, okay, I don't actually, you know, I don't know too much about sepsis at that point. Biggest killer in the country. Right? <laughs> Luckily, I didn't know that at the time. So he said, um, I'm going to call the hospital now and make sure they're ready for you now. So I call the hospital. I'm in the hospital and they do something called an aspiration. This is where, oh, this is what this, this doctor says to me. He says, Mr. Hanim, I must apologize. It, it appears that God has punished us for my arrogance. <laughs> oh, that's all right then. Don't worry mate, about it, mate. Honestly, I'm looking at him like, this motherfucker. <laughs> like, seriously? Like, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't, I couldn't believe he said that. Anyway, he gets a needle. Goes back in to where the, the infection now is and does an aspiration, takes his stuff out. This is the most brutal thing I've experienced in my life. I screamed out. Now, I'm telling you now, the I whole feel, hospital. I feel a bit sick just thinking about it. <laughs> so he does that, takes out a whole syringe of... Oh, God. And then there's these, uh, these other doctors. I'm sort of... They've left me there and they're saying, look, we have to send this off to be tested to see if there's any um, organisms in it. I'm like, organisms? What's an organism? I know what an organism is, but I, I, I don't know what an organism is. It's like if there's any bugs in there that are eating away from the inside. I'm like, Jesus Christ, man. Like, so... So they say... We're not going to put a health warning on the front of this podcast, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, honestly, at this, I'm scared at this point, you know, obviously. They say to me, right, we don't... You, you, you may have to have an operation to clean out the area. And I'm like, a fucking operation? I was fine. I was fine. Like, three days ago, I was completely fine. Um, I'm scared because my birthday is coming up. In, in four days and I'm thinking um, am I going to die here like like I don't because I don't need a lesson to know to make me appreciate life I've already been through that lesson like what's going on here I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to die on my birthday I had the operation the day before my birthday and um, but the killer is they, they I had some cocky um, skinny trouser wearing doctors you know about, about 20 years old Really arrogant little pricks, right? And they were like, you know, you know, you, you'll probably be fine. You know, what else will give you a little wash out and then, you know, send you on your way. Okay, cool. Wake up the next morning. Fellas come. Right, I'm taking you down to the theatre. I'm like, what are you talking about? You're taking me down to the theatre. Yeah, you've got an operation. <laughs> I'm like, no, I haven't, mate. What are you talking about? You know, obviously I'm scared. I'm like, operation, you, this guy told me, Last night that I'm about to leave. 
So I miss the operation schedule. The surgeon comes upstairs and says, can you tell me what the problem is? Because we need to operate on you. And I said, the problem is I've been told that there was no need for an operation. I didn't know anything about any operation. I'm not prepared for an operation. They said, okay, let me explain this to you. They got the senior surgeon to come upstairs. And he said, let me explain this to you. Um, the syringe that was taken, the aspiration, has been sent off. Now, that comes back on Monday. Um, it is, it's a, I think it's a Thursday. No, it's a Friday. He says, this come, it comes back, the tests come back on Monday. He says, if there are any organisms um, in this test, by Monday, you will be crippled. Um, and you won't walk. So, at the worst case scenario for you now is I'm going to do this operation. I'm going to clean out the area. He said, the worst thing you're going to have is you're going to have a scar for the rest of your life and you're going to be on crutches for a few months. He said, but you'll be fine after that. He said, or we leave it till Monday and then you don't walk properly again, maybe. So I said, let's go. Take me down. Take me away. And they did the operation, and, and thankfully it was a, a success. Um, now, after that, I was on crutches for a couple of months, and I had to rehabilitate, obviously. I'm, I'm, I love playing football, as I do to this day. So I had to rehabilitate. What, what position did you play? More forward. Mm. Yeah. Sort of like a Kevin Campbell style forward? No, more like an R9. You know, I don't <laughs> Hey, mate. <laughs> you asked, mate. Kevin Campbell. I'm not telling you. I'm more like R9. Than well, Kevin I say Campbell, Kevin. I, I mean, saying. I've got Kevin Campbell in my mind because, because he retweeted a tweet yesterday of mine, so I've got him in my mind. So, uh, are you a gooner? You're a gooner, right? I'm a Liverpool fan, but oh, I'm sorry. Fan. I wish I could rewind that laugh that you missed. <laughs> that, the laugh, the laugh, the laugh. Do you mean Jimmy? Jimmy? Do you mean Fat Ronaldo? Or I'm talking. I'm talking. <laughs> I'm talking Pete. 1998 to 2002, Ronaldo. That's what I'm talking about. Okay, mate. <laughs> Have you got it back? Listen. Have yeah. you got it back? Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Good to hear it. Yeah. I'm glad to hear it. I, I had to rehabilitate myself. Yeah, I bet. And then just days later, you know, your dad passed away. You had a kid and then your dad passed away. What a... Well, that was the next, the year and... after, 2018. Right. That was 2017. It was almost a year. It was just under a year. Eleven right. months later, like my son was born, and uh, the sad, the sad part about that is my dad didn't get to meet him. And it's funny because he's the one that's most like my dad. You know, uh, he did get to meet him, and it's really sad because we were driving there on a Monday, and it, it started snowing. And I, so I said, "Oh man." If it was just me and the missus going over there, it's different. I'd, I'd, I'd risk it in the snow. I was like, imagine if we get stuck in the snow. You know what it's like in this country when it snows? It, the, the, it just falls to bits. So I phoned my dad. I said, Dad, it started snowing, so we'll come on Wednesday. And, and on Wednesday was when he passed, you know, unfortunately. So he didn't get to meet his, his, um, his youngest grandkid, but he's named after him. Lovely. You know? Yeah, Lovely. so uh, and he and yeah. he's very much like him as well. He'll he'll live on in that sense. Um, and how how is 
<clears throat> we've talked about how you sort of came to terms with with some of the mental health issues you were having after your dad passed away. How is your mental health now? I'm very good. I'm very good. Um, I wouldn't, I, I, like I say, I, I, you know what? Everything comes from health. You know, what I put in my body mm. is a big part of that. My exercise, my training, you know, playing football, all these things. But even in lockdown, when I didn't have those things in the same, you know, uh, at the same level, I was still, uh, I've, I've learned to process things. I'm older and wiser now, you yeah. know, and, 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 you know, when you've got kids in the house. And do you, feel, do you feel a sense of responsibility to your fans and your children, to be honest, about what you've been through? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, like I said to you, my kids to learn stuff that some conversation may get missed along the line. Maybe it's with the youngest one because I'm getting older. So my mind's in a different place. So I, we, we just may miss out on certain conversations, you know, for whatever reason, this stuff's always documented. I didn't realize, do you know what? I used to look up to coming into the game. I said to Scotty the other day, Doc Scott, if you take his music out, that's, you know, that's a big part of me coming into this game was Doc Scott's music, somebody I idolised. Mm. He went through exactly the same shit I did. And I, and I said to him the other day, me he, knowing back then that even someone as great as you could go through that, that it just gives you a sense of assurance that, you know what, I can get through it, actually. You know, I can get through it and get on top again. And it's a it's a, a blip in life and everything else. Um, so I, I know that me talking about certain things can also help people. There are people that look up to me that can be helped. Do, do, how much do you think that... Because, you know, you were on the Frost Report with Doc Scott and, 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 and Frost, who's open about his mental health problems in the past. Uh, do you think that, uh, that, that creatives like you guys, musicians, are more prone to mental health problems than others or, or not? Um, hmm. I, I, I don't know if I'd say that. I, maybe because there are certain obstacles in your way in this business. You know, there are certain things that you have to deal with, which maybe you don't have to deal with in everyday life. But I, I, again, I think it's down to the individual, hmm. how strong that person is, how equipped that person is to deal with certain issues, you know? I really and, do. And just finally, what advice would you have for anybody who's listening to this, who's perhaps going through a tough time like you might have experienced in the past? Um, you see, it's, it's, it, the easiest thing to say is just talk. One, you don't always want to talk. <laughs> Two, you may not have somebody to talk to, like me. I didn't have, really have anyone to talk to. So... I think that I would I would say that there is help out there for people now, so you should seek that help. It's really important because 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 some people really need that help. There, there there's a lot of avenues. There's a lot of charities nowadays, you know, that people can go to, and and I think that people should be scared to pick up the phone, get on the computer, and contact uh, some of these organisations. Um, I I would also say that a lot of it can begin from within. 
Yeah. So how your lifestyle? You need to look at your lifestyle. You need to look at what you put in your body, the food you eat, whether you drink, whether you're taking drugs, even smoking cigarettes. All of these things contribute to mental health. You know. So I, I would I would definitely say you need to look at yourself in those areas. Um. Like I say, it's easy to say. You know, some people say, go and exercise. It makes you feel wonderful and everything else. <laughs> I come on. I've, I've been sat in a bloody room for a year. Like, and I, and I, and I love, love sport all my life. And yet, for, for that year, I didn't do anything. So it's not that simple. Do you know what I mean? But, but, like I say, look at what you put in your body as well. It's very important. It really is. I don't know many people who live clean and suffer in that way. I don't, you know. I'm not saying it's everything. I wouldn't be, I'm not that, you know, knowledgeable and, and qualified to say, you know. But just from my experience of dealing with people that have suffered with mental health and everything else, I don't know anyone. I know people that live clean and healthy, and I don't know any of them that have suffered in the same way it's the ones that that, that that don't live that way, you know? Sage advice. Well, that's it for another episode of Raw. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love you to get involved. All of us here at Raw HQ buzz hard off how much you, the Raw crew, enjoy our work and your generous cash donations have been a huge help since our launch. But we're now in Team 5, putting in combined 80 hours a week for no wages. We've got loads of plans to go further, expand our team and offer, but that does mean that our costs are also increasing. So we can really use your help to keep Raw growing and developing as you've done since we started. So please do check out our website initially. It's rawuk.com for interesting extra content and to get your hands on our first ever range of Raw merchandise. That's rawuk.com. We've also launched a new membership scheme where you can donate to create more interesting and fun content on an ongoing basis and you'll even get stuff in return. So head to patreon.com forward slash rawukpods. That's patreon.com forward slash rawukpods to see what's on offer. You can also join our YouTube membership, which is the same. Or if you're not bothered about membership, but you'd like to support us with a few quid as a one-off or repeat donation, head to our website and click the PayPal link. That website URL, one more time, rawuk.com. Respect to you for your support and for getting to the end of this episode. Please keep supporting us and help ensure there's more quality content coming your way on a regular basis. Oi, oi. Raw, raw, raw.